Welcome to System Chat Live. At the end of the last episode, we mentioned that today would be an episode featuring Bognagus. However, we also last week had the opportunity to talk to Dennis E. Taylor, the author of the Bobiverse series. For the pacing of those episodes, we decided to flip those episodes around, so Bog will be coming up next week. This will be a departure from Elite Dangerous. We do discuss Elite Dangerous a little bit with Dennis E. Taylor, but the bulk of the episode is Dennis talking about his creative process, his vision for the Bobiverse series, as well as some cool other bits and pieces that Boss Lady, myself, and our guest host, Souverine, were dying to ask him. We had to record today's episode on Zoom, so you will notice that the audio quality is not quite as good as it usually is on our podcasts. Whether you're in the bubble of Off to Colonia, Boss Lady B and WK Jez are on your side. You're listening to the System Chat Podcast. Dennis, I think one of the first questions I really wanted to ask you is, when did you first realize you wanted to write as kind of a fun hobby and turning into a successful career so what was that moment that you realized you really wanted to be a quote-unquote writer well this is a little embarrassing but um writing has never been a passion with me the way it is with some people um i I know there are a lot of writers out there who just they have to write Um, it's it's something they they make time to do and, and so on I, I got into it as a, literally uh, on a dare. Um, I, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you know, my wife, I, I was reading a book and it was a free book on Kindle and it was worth every penny I paid for it. And I just got angry and uh, said something like, I could write better than this. And my wife said, well, go ahead. Let's see what you can do. And <laughs> I wrote Outland. And then Outland, I mean, the first version of Outland didn't do great because it was self-published. And, you know, there's like 5 million self-published novels on, on uh, Amazon. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Uh, but it, it got me coffee money every month. So I decided I'll write a second book. And that was We Are Legion. And uh, that one did take off. So somewhere around... Uh, Legion was published September 20th, 2016, and by December of 2016, I was starting to realize that that things were happening and that I might have a decision to make in the near future. What was that decision? Quit my job. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, I actually made that decision about February of 2017. Uh, because by that point, uh, I was bringing in more every month than my annual salary. Um, and that was, you know, one book out of the trilogy. So I figured, you know, this, 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 could, be a, this could be a source of income. Was that... Was that, that is, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Go, go was, was that experience from going from, from creating a, a cool story to a cool story that people were picking up? Was it a kind of a surreal experience? I mean, what was that like when you kind of realized that things were, were going towards that direction? Oh, it was, it was incredibly surreal. Um, I, have, uh, I have always 
had sort of a, a side hustle going on uh, through my life. I, I sold shareware at one point, um, you know, when, when the internet uh, became mature enough, uh, a little um, Telnet client called Telstar. And uh, again, you know, it, it brought in it brought in some extra cash and stuff like that. And I've had other things going. I did some programming on the side, um, and that's what I was looking on, looking at writing as becoming as another side hustle, essentially another way to to bring in some extra cash without having to work at Home Depot evenings. Um, and it it. it Came as a total shock to everybody, including my agent. Uh, I remember Ethan at one point saying to me, "You know, the goal is to sell, you know, two to three thousand copies, and then you can consider yourself a success, and then we'll move on to the next book." And I, I went through that in the first month, and it just built from there. And uh, you know, it, at some point, we started to realize that this was an income, not a, not a side income, but a main income. Oh, goodness gracious. That's, that's a phenomenal success. Um, that, is, that, that sort of, that sort of profitability, uh, so soon is really, really rare in publishing. Um, did, um, <clears throat> did your, uh, did your, agent and publisher and, and, and people that you were working with. I, I heard that you that you went straight to audiobook because you'd because it initially Legion hadn't um hadn't been successful yet you hadn't managed to tempt traditional publishers with it. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Legion uh, unfortunately broke some rules that that new authors uh, should pay attention to. One is for instance don't write a series. Uh, <laughs> write a standalone book. Um, and uh, of course, so the first thing I did was, was go off and find an agent with the first book of a trilogy, you know, way to go, Dennis. Um, but Ethan liked the book and then Steve Felbert from Audible liked the book. And when we couldn't get a traditional publisher to, uh, to bite on it, um, Ethan had me sign with Audible directly as, as my primary publisher. And I think there was a, que a question of timing there where Audible was really just ramping up, at least in the science fiction genre. There wasn't necessarily a lot of product there yet. So I was an early, an early adopter or an early in or whatever you want to call it. And people jumped on the book. I, I'm not sure if I could have the same success now if I started today. I think people would still like the book, but it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a runaway. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, do you think that? Uh, do you think that the the success of the financial success of the book is uh, is linked to the the, the format? I, I've heard people talking about the explosive success of of audiobooks recently for genre fiction, and I'm and I'm wondering whether audiobook is a particularly profitable way for for authors to publish if they're successful, if, if their books are you know gain traction. Well. In terms of, of uh, strictly um, percentage of sales, Amazon is probably the most profitable because you get 70% of the list price. Yeah. Um, whereas with uh, audiobooks, you get 20%. On the other hand, um, you know, depending on how Audible decides to price your, your audiobook, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a higher retail price. 
Uh, I think Legion went on for 1495. We Are Legion, the first book went on for 1495. And, um, you know, the the uh, Kindle version went on for five bucks or something like that, 495. So, yeah, okay. Um, probably about the same if I sold about the same number of copies. But in fact, most of my unit sales are audio. Mm. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Part of the reason for my success, I got to say this, and I always say this, and it's worth saying, is the narrator, Ray Porter. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, he's not just a narrator, he's a voice actor, and he takes a lot of pleasure in, in uh, <clears throat> making his characters as distinctive as possible. And uh, he just did an incredible job. Was that contact through Audible? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Felberg made the decision to put Ray on the book. Um, I was originally actually kind of hoping for Will Wheaton simply because I knew that Will Wheaton was doing audible narrations and I knew who he was and there was that Star Trek connection and everything like that. But uh, Steve put Ray Porter on the on the project and it was absolutely the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, he does a great job with the, the narration mm -hmm. and really brings the characters alive which is important because it is one character but multiple characters so that's yeah that's a really tricky job for a narrator to kind of differentiate and also you as an author to write the various different voices of the various different bobs and still make them seem as you know we won't give away any spoilers from book four um but you know seem like a cohesive whole all from the same origin seed um yeah so yeah, Ray, Ray did manage to make uh, the bobs sound a little bit different. We had some discussions about particular bobs and stuff like that. Um, and he does make them sound a little bit different, but the, what really stands out, I think, is, is the non-bob voices where he just has total freedom to fly. Um, his, his Admiral Akbar voice is absolutely spot on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> So I have a really interesting question for you, Dennis. You said to start off, this was going to be a trilogy. And I have to say personally, as a reader, I was really sad after the third book. What, what inspired you to bring in Heaven's River, which is now nominated for an award for the Prometheus Award? So what led to it continuing? Well, it there was never any question in my mind, actually, of it not continuing. Um, the original three books were called a trilogy because they were planned as a single set of story arcs uh, over the course of three books with more or less things wrapping up at the end of the third book. But there was never any question that there'd be more books. Okay. They just wouldn't be part of the trilogy. They're, they're now, it's now a series. Excellent. I, that's the best news I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the point is that Heaven's River was always going to be there. I mean, I, I put the, the um, Bender's disappearance into, I can't remember if it was book two or book three, or it started in book two and continued in book three, like Bender was always going to vanish. Yeah. So that brings up a really interesting point. And I was, I was hearing one of your previous interviews where you talked about how you organize the various different timelines. And I know Jez has a question about this. Yeah. I mean, it's quite 
I mean, the story gets quite complex the further we explore it. How did you manage to keep up with those complexities when actually writing it? Because I should imagine that's quite quite challenging too. Um, well, I, uh, I I had two tools, three tools really, two of which I wrote myself. Uh, one was Excel, which I obviously did not write, um, but I wrote a spreadsheet that allowed me to um, interleave the various storylines by by date. Uh, I wrote a um, light speed calculator to allow me to uh, calculate um, time dilation based on distance and, and you know total objective elapsed time and stuff like that. And I wrote a sort of a project planner, basically a timeline program to allow me to map out visually the various things that were happening and connect them and so forth. And between the three things, I just, I just entered all my data and I had to, I had to fool with some of the dates a few times, but uh, you know, I got everything to fit. Uh, the, 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 the computer science student me is just beaming right now, hearing, <laughs> hearing those tools were created for problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what applications are for. I love the fact that you, uh, that you wrote a light speed calculator. That's a pull quote right there. <laughs> I really enjoy that. Um, so on the on the subject of of structure and and planning and approach, do you in terms of what goes into each chapter and the arcs of the characters, do you um, do you tend to wing it? Do you do you just sort of know what? Do you t just let your characters grow and and let them go where they will, or do you plot out what is going to be in each chapter and where the where the key? emotional beats are going to be throughout the story and and have it planned quite rigorously in advance well both um i plan things very carefully in advance and i have a very good idea of where the plot's going and then as soon as i start to write everything goes to hell <laughs> <laughs> so the planning is really just pr procrastination before you start writing then. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Plus, plus trying to get an idea of what actually is going to happen. But quite often, things just go off on their own. The characters take over. Um, and it's it's amazing how often, if you're writing and if you're really trying to stay true to the character, the character will do things that you didn't anticipate. Because as yeah. you're writing, you suddenly realize, well, this guy wouldn't do that. He'd do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all of a sudden, bang, new tangent. I feel I feel compelled to ask, kind of talking about planning and the rest of it. I think a lot of us write in our heads our own stories, especially us three when we're in a sandbox environment that we're used to with with the game we play. Has your story been something that has existed for a long time? I mean, have you been coming up with these ideas for, say, quite a, a large proportion of your life, or was it something that was? kind of came to be when you knew you wanted to write speci you know, specifically for writing the, the, the story? Well, I, I've been reading science fiction since I was, I think, eight or 10 years old uh, and almost nothing but occasional fantasy, the occasional uh, uh, Lincoln and Child book, but uh, or Preston and Child, I should say, sorry. Um, but mostly I'm, I'm a straight, straight up science fiction reader. So I've read almost every science fiction plot and theme and, and stuff that's out there. Uh, a lot of times 
I love the book. A lot of times I say, well, you know, I wish they'd done this instead. Um, sometimes I just hate the book, but you know, it's science fiction. So I keep reading it. Um, <laughs> it uh, in the case of uh, We Are Legion, that was built partly from uh, A World Out of Time by Larry Niven uh, with a little bit of uh, The Ship Who Sang by Anne McCaffrey and, and a few others thrown in there. Um, but this was the direction that I thought the story should go. Mm. You know, somebody who's, who's basically been handed a spaceship, mortality and total freedom to do what he wants, go. And that's, that's what I wrote. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm. But it's crucially not it's, it's crucially not just what you wrote because there's all there, there are elements of Legion which are terrifying. Um, yeah. What you've just said is what you've just said is 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 a dreamy scenario and and it, and and it's 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 all there absolutely one hundred percent. But there's also the absolute terror of being transplanted in another time. The total lack of agency that Bob has when he realizes what's happened to him. Um, and the a, a kind of there's a there's even a kind of like body horror aspect. Um, it reminded me of the scene in uh, uh, in RoboCop where um, uh, where you where they the, the montage of him gradually being turned into a cyborg. It 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 there are there is a really dark undertone mm. to to these to to this story. Um, for for context, I, I I'm reading Legion at the moment, um, mm -hmm. and I've, it's it's the first one I've started with. Um, and it's uh, which goes on to a, a, a compliment that I want to give, which is I I haven't really ever read a, a science fiction which seems to be pretty high fidelity, pretty what they call hard science fiction, pretty carefully thought out, and is also hilarious, and also has a very keen sense for the a, a very keen sense for the absurd, and um, and isn't afraid to 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 sort of. Well, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It, 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 it's a really, it's really deft work. I haven't um, most a lot of hard science fiction is quite po-faced, and I've really found this refreshing. But yeah, I just I, I want to draw you out a bit on the darker aspects of Bob's transformation and the the questions it throws up about agency and and personhood and all that kind of thing. Because as I was reading it, I was smiling, but I was kind of it's kind of scary as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I when I write my first draft of a book, uh, all the characters are always very flat, even tempered, even keeled. Um, they don't overly react to things. And my agent and my editors keep pointing this out to me. Um, but I, I know that it's a shortcoming. So I always go back and I try to figure out, explicitly figure out, uh, you know, how would a real life person react in this circumstance? And that's when I start to stick in the emotions and the reactions and so forth. So Bob, in the first iteration of, of the book, really was just going with the flow through most of the thing. And both Ethan and Steve said to me, you know, he's got to react more. There's got to be yeah. more emotion. There's got to be more um, strong emotion, really. So, you know, I just I just went back and, and on each scene stopped and thought, well, what, you know, how would a person react? in that circumstance. Um, sticking things like uh, philosophical questions in, that's just, that's just me. Because I, I, my brain goes there. It's hard not to really with those sort of, with, with those sort of questions. Yeah.
And that brings up kind of something, hopefully this doesn't spoil it for you, Suvereen, but uh, later on talking about the ephemerals. And I think any, any story that deals with immortals has to deal with the ephemerals and tying in that piece of, you know, some, some of the bobs get really attached to ephemerals and some try and not to get attached. And then, you know, how did you grapple with that in your own mind or your own experience? Was there one side that you wanted to go towards, but then felt that you had to balance it? Or did it just come naturally that some went for it and some didn't? Well, I, I think that's one of those questions where different people would react differently. Uh, you can start with the whole question of immortality itself. If you, if you bring it up in a, a random miscellaneous group of people, a certain number of them will say, oh, no, I wouldn't want to be immortal. Um, not unless everybody else was too. Some people will say, I wouldn't want to be immortal, period. We should only be on this planet for so long. Uh, some people would say, oh, hell yes. <laughs> uh, and, and it gets more complicated if it's immortality for a copy of you. But the point is that different people will react differently. Different people will have different opinions. Um, trying to write a story where, where everybody has a, a, a uniform, homogenous outlook on things, I think, is unrealistic. Absolutely. Which, uh, which are you in that? Oh, I'm the, I'm the oh, hell yes camp. <laughs> I thought you would be, yeah. <laughs> and actually, linking to that, how much of... It's very tempting to ask, given what I know, the little I know of your background, it's very, it's very tempting to ask how much of Bob is you. But I think probably a more interesting question would, and more interesting for you to answer would probably be, where is Bob? How do you see Bob being, like, what areas of Bob's character are most different from yours? Okay. Well, first off, to, to answer the first part of the question, yeah, there's a whole lot of Gary Stu involved in Bob. Um, his story is, is absolutely something that I'd love to be have inflicted on me. Um, even if I had to go through, you know, faith and stuff like that first. Um, but I don't know that there's a lot of Bob that's, that's different than me. Um, some of his, some of his clones certainly go off. Um, <laughs> You know, in different directions. I think the the biggest thing about about uh, Bob that's probably different than me is his level of ambition and drive. He he's a very driven, ambitious, focused uh, individual when he gets going. I'm kind of lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to write driven characters though because they don't actually do any work. You only narrate them doing work. Do you know, that's do you know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling I'm telling them to do the work. Yes, precisely. It's like delegation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And that actually is kind of an interesting point. So we've talked a little bit about how you've done that hard science side, you know, even creating the program to calculate the, the distance traveled, how long that would take, you know, depending on the speeds and all of that. What other resources do you use to kind of put that hard science behind the books? Is there any go-to resources for people like us who love space and space science that you would send us to that are accessible? Um, kind of what, what resources do you enjoy using? Well, the, the only other resource that I really used for the Bobiverse series was uh, various astronomical catalogs that are available on the web for 
positioning stars and so forth and, and getting stellar types. Um, I have a feeling that, that the, um, the game uh, has already made use of those. If, if as you say, that it has a realistic galactic map, then you already have all the proper motions and positions of all the stars in there and stellar types again. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to do it from scratch. So I downloaded about a whole lot of text files and, um, and that's another application that I wrote actually was a stellar mapping program to, to put them into a 3D um, position and image so that I could actually see where, where, th where Bob was flying to. Um, but uh, in terms of general uh, resources, I think the the most easily accessed one is Phys.org, uh, phys.org, um, which is uh, it's just a science site, and it has a lot of interesting articles every day. You can go in there once a day and, and just spend some time reading. And there's also uh, physics forums, which uh, I. I I made use of them actually to check on the validity of blowing up a star by hitting it with a couple of planets. Mm. And they confirmed that, yeah, it would probably do some damage. <laughs> so I, I, I feel pretty good about having killed the others off that way. <laughs> yeah, that was a brilliant, brilliant move there. Well, and also in Heaven's River, bringing up the idea of the Dyson sphere. And it was so interesting because right as that book came out, there's also a oh, game yeah. out there called yeah. Dyson Sphere that's in early access. And it was like, huh, this, yeah. this is becoming kind of commonly known or commonly thought about now in the sci-fi genre. And it was really quite neat the way that, you know, the, the Dyson Sphere that you imagined for that and kind of the, the, I won't spoil it for anybody who wants to listen, but some of the, the applications it's used for. Um, and what, what kind of did you base your Dyson sphere knowledge from? Uh, that's um, not well. I, I wasn't going to say nothing specific, but actually, uh, Isaac Arthur's uh, Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur. Uh, he does a lot of uh, videos on various subjects, including megastructures, and um, that's a that's a great source for learning about the various different types of megastructures, Dyson spheres, topopoluses, or topopoli, I don't know which one it is. Uh, there are a lot of different types of megastructures. And uh, actually the, the, uh, the one that I settled on for the Quinlans was the topopolis. And I hope I'm not uh, you know, killing people with uh, spoilers here, but uh, I, I'm, I'm actually quite uh, tickled that now if you go on Wikipedia and look up topopolis, it references Heaven's River. That means you've made it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can I'm retire. That's it. You're done. You're immortalized. You're Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm, a wiki, I'm a wiki reference. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the subject of 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 plausibility and research, I am curious as to uh, the. Um, how the bobs differ and how you manage to get different characters out of the same the same base material um so the for for read for listeners who who um who haven't read the books yet there's a, a central a central plot piece which is about um downloading 
personalities and and turning turning the essence of a person into into data which can be stored and moved and copied um the obviously the in the boberverse when you when you copy that variation creeps in and um uh and when i when i when i first read that i i, I was i was really fascinated because i wondered how I wondered how plausible that was. And I guess my question is, you've put so much, you know, a lot of rigor has gone into how the, um, how you've, uh, you know, making sure that the stars all lined up and and, uh, and all that sort of thing. What, how, is there a lot of, um, how much science is there behind the idea that a personality uh, could um, sort of change, you know, that, that could, could um, evolve, like change through replication? Uh, you haven't read Heaven's River? No, not yet. No, okay. Uh, that actually gets dealt with uh, quite explicitly in, in Heaven's River. Um, I'm not sure if I should do a spoiler here or not. No, don't spoil anything, please, because I'm going <laughs> to okay. read it. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I get into a little bit of quantum physics on, on that. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, it's quite... annoying because I can't. <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't I've got to, I've, I've been given homework. I've got I've been given a reading list. I've got to go, and, right. go, 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 go and read, and read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's only there's only a few books, but you know they go by so quickly. And part of what I love about audiobooks, and it is really lovely to have that medium, is that say we are flying out in space and we're out exploring or we're doing something in the game or even housework, gardening, things like that. I can have the books going on in the background and it adds that extra layer because in in elite dangerous it is an open world it's a sandbox you create your own narrative there's no no point a to point b to point c there's no real leading you through or any track that leads you through so it is really quite lovely to have that story in the background and have that world while traveling around in a kind of a space immersion um and that piece of it. But I want to tie back to the comedy aspect. Mm. And this is something that WK Jez picked up on about kind of your use of comedy. And I know Suv kind of touched on this as well, but I really want to turn over the floor because this is something that Jez noticed that is very unique to your story. Yes. Um, in in sci-fi and, and comedy, it's, it's quite... Uh, well, my exposure to sci-fi and comedy coming together for most of my life was Red Dwarf, but even even then I found that some of the episodes were skewed one way or the other, and I found from um, experiencing your work, you, you seem to f strike this, this blend. Some of it is quite subtle, some of it is, is quite imaginative, but do you have any rules or do you have any processes to get what we see as as consumers of, of 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 your work the perfect blend of the two well I, the the rule that i i guess i um i stick to is that the reality has to be serious like i i don't want to write a red dwarf or uh uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy kind of book or anything or it, terry anything by terry mm. pratchett um, you know, where, where it's the universe itself that's being ridiculous. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy those books, but those are a different kind of genre. Mm. Um, 
I don't know if you'd call them slapstick or spoofs or or what, but they're they're a situation where the universe itself is off in a certain way. Um, what I write is a serious universe, but people who have a skewed look on it. Uh, Bob is sarcastic. He's ironic. He has a dry sense of humor. Um, he sees the ridiculousness in things. Um, and he tries to approach a serious and sometimes cruel universe with, uh, with a bit of sense of humor. What, one criticism of the classics is that the um, classic science fiction novels, well, it, it, I don't know how widespread the criticism is, something that I've always found with things like um, Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke is that the characters are often sort of fairly unremarkable sciencey men who don't seem to have a great deal of a great deal of interior world and seem to just exist to do things um and make plot happen and just be and just be plot pivotal um and um and i was really pleasantly surprised to see how much life and humor there is in in uh, the characters in um in we are legion um it's it's really refreshing and uh for for such weighty topics it's not all that common i don't think <laughs> Thanks, thank you. Um, and I, I probably tend to agree uh, about um, you know some of the more classic science fiction. Uh, certainly, Asimov's characters tended to be very serious um, and and you know focused on on whatever they were focused on and stuff like that. Heinlein's characters tend to be very quirky, but they again they tend to be quirky in a given direction, and that's the direction they're quirky in. Um, it's, it comes, it comes down to whether you're trying to achieve an external goal or an internal goal. And with the Bob verse, at least a lot of the goal is internal. Bob's trying to come to some kind of a, a, a resolution with their, their situation. Do you, um, do you find writing uh, an easy process? Do you find it, do you joyously sit down at your, at your PC and type away all night or do you set yourself a grim word count and plow through it and then gleefully leap up and go and do something else at the end of it? I am a procrastinator, which means it's very difficult for me to get myself to sit down in front of the computer and start. Um, but once I start, I very quickly get into it and I can spend hours at it and not even notice the time go by, but I have to get started. And that is the hard part. And unfortunately, it's an, an aspect of my personality that extends to more than just writing. And it's something I've been fighting all my life. Interesting. It, um, it, yeah, that's, it's, it's so surprising to hear that because you, you certainly don't, you don't seem like somebody who, who, um, who struggles with inactivity. Um, I know what you mean about inertia, though. I think, I think inertia in, in writers is probably fairly common. That Once you get going, it's fine. Do you, um, yeah. do, you, do you just write as much as you see fit or do you set yourself targets and, and say, right, okay, well, if I write this much for every day for this long, then I'll have my next project done in this time. You know, how, how sort of freeform are you with your own, with your, with your own work? I, I try to stay freeform as much as possible. Um, if I find that I'm taking too long or I'm starting to procrastinate too much, then I'll set myself some goals especially in the later phases, in the editing phases, I'll say I have to do at least one chapter of editing a day or something like that. Uh, but when I'm writing the first draft 
and it's it's essentially almost a stream of consciousness. Um, I will stop when I start to stall. Yeah, yeah. And and how 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 many words do you typically do in a in a session? Well, it, it can be as few as a as a few hundred if I'm having a bad day. But I can I can do I've done five thousand words a day before. Yeah, that's pretty chunky. Interesting. Yeah, um, I I, and... I type fast, so I can I can type almost as fast as I think about it. Uh, so if I get on a roll, I'm just hammering away like I was taking dictation. Nice. Which, in yeah, a sense, perfect. I am doing. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. And do you um, do you find that uh, do you find that the the chapters fill themselves, and you um, and that description flows really naturally, or are you are you instinctively quite a sparse writer and and find yourself thinking, no, I need to elaborate a bit more. I need to give a bit more detail about the setting, about what the characters are doing, what they're feeling, all that sort of thing. I'm a, I'm a very sparse writer. Uh, my first draft tends to be about half the length that it needs to be. Um, I also have a bad tendency to uh, tell rather than show. Um, I will write, you know, they did this and then they did that and, and stuff in in uh, past tense kind of thing and then I have to go through and I have to make it immediate more immediate and add dialogue and add stuff like that but it's it's mostly a matter of getting the the plot elements in yeah first. yeah that makes perfect sense interesting and um how 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 useful do you find I mean uh you, you've mentioned an ed, uh, an editor and I, I'm not sure whether the other chap you mentioned was a uh, was sorry you mentioned an agent and I'm not sure whether the other person you mentioned was was an editor do you uh do you work closely with an editor and if so how useful do you find them for uh for spitballing all that kind of thing and adding that sort of thing that that you are not in that you don't instinctively do on the first time round well Ethan my agent is better for uh the spitballing and stuff like that he he usually reads the, uh, uh, the the manuscript first, and he will have suggestions. In fact, Ethan is responsible for a lot of the suggestions that went into We Are Legion that uh, ended up making it a success. For instance, it was his idea to make the characters a little different in the first place. Um, my on my first draft, they were all Bob. They were all just Bob with different names. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. So, and, and he, you know, he makes other suggestions and stuff like that. It, one of them being that, you know, put more emotion into things and stuff. Um, once it's gotten Ethan's stamp of approval, then I may do a few more passes just to add stuff. And then it goes to the editor. And my editor right now is uh, Steve Felberg. He's with Audible and he's actually the, the man who signed me in the first place. Um, and he's he's decided to act as my editor, and that's great. Um, but um, it's it's a very it's a very close working relationship during the editing phase. He he goes through, he does line edits, he does copy edits, he does uh, continuity edits. Um, he does he I don't want to say he makes suggestions because this is this is one of those things where where expectations may differ but he will tell me that something is is wrong or incomplete or needs work or 
should be expanded or something like that. But he won't give me specific suggestions about how to do it. And I, I think he explicitly avoids doing that. That's interesting. It's, it's arguably more useful Be, being told, being told what the problem is and being, and being, and, and being made aware that you need to provide a solution is probably more useful and, and allows you a bit more freedom than being prescribed a solution, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I agree after the fact at the time, usually it's, it's quite frustrating. Um, but you know, it, it's the right way to go in the end. And in the end, I do figure something out, even though I may stare at the screen for a while thinking, but, uh, you know. yeah, exactly. And Dennis, so you described kind of your way of getting into the, the book industry as being a little bit you know, backwards in a way, because you did jump in in a different way. But it sounds like Ethan, your agent has been really pivotal to the whole process. How did you get introduced to him? How did you go from self published on um, Outland to then getting into and kind of connected in with both Ethan and Audible World and all of that? Because I think that's the biggest part uh, for anybody that is self published or wanting to be creative that is the biggest barriers. You can write a beautiful book and a great story, but if you don't get that connection or you also just don't get other people out there reading it, it just stays on the shelf in a way. Yeah. Well, I used Query Tracker, uh, which is a uh, website that um, has a database of all the literary agents uh, in, well, at least in the States and Canada. And I, I think at least uh, in England and parts of Europe as well. Um, and you can create a list of agents that you want to query, and the database will tell you how those agents want to be queried, because some will not take, you know, email, some will not take uh, um, snail mail, and so on and so forth. So you, you go through the list, you decide what, in what order you want to query them, and then you just start. And you can do it all at once, or you can do it a bit at a time. Uh, it's entirely a self-paced thing. Um, just as an aside, Query Tracker has a free and a subscription version, and it's worth paying for the subscription version if you're looking for an agent. The, the okay. extra um, function that the subscription adds are well worth it. So anyway, I used Query Tracker. I queried Outland, and I got crickets for Outland. And uh, then I queried Legion. And I sent out exactly two queries, uh, and Ethan was the second one, and he responded right away and asked for the, the entire manuscript. And I sent it to him, and the next thing you know, I was signed up. Wow, that's so interesting between your two books, too. And, and that must have been, you know, with the first book being like, oh, shoot, well, hmm. And then the second one, so instantaneously, just boom. How, how do you look back at your first book? Do you see that kind of as your test test case? Do you wish you had gone back and done things differently? How do you kind of view that first, first foray into writing? Well, Outland was, was a, uh, a learning experience. Um, when you're like, if you're learning a new language in programming, uh, the best way to learn it once you've read the manual and, and 
you know, learn the basic keywords and stuff is to pick a test application to write something not too difficult, something not on a deadline, uh, but something that will challenge you a bit. So Outland was in a way my, my learning application for, for learning to write. And I, you know, I made some mistakes in it, there's no question. Um, but when, uh, when Audible sign, signed up a, a contract with me for Outland, I uh, rewrote it. So the version of, of Outland that's out now is actually different from the original version. Ah, interesting. So there's a collector's item out there if people didn't get hold of the first uh, edit or the first <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the big questions that, that every author probably gets asked, but I have to ask you this, Dennis. So would you like to see Bobiverse turned into a movie or show? Is that something oh. that you would love to see picked up or do you like it in the format it is? Uh, I absolutely would love to see it picked up. Um, there's a lot of argument about whether it would make a good movie because of the amount that's going on. Uh, I think most of the most of the fans on on uh, fans of the Bobiverse, for instance, um, tend to think that it should be a Netflix series or an Amazon Prime series or something like that rather than a movie. Mm -hmm. And I I can't say I disagree. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the uh, series Upload on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. It's it's quite a good quite a good series. There's only one season out so far, unfortunately. I'm chomping at the bit waiting for them to come out with season two because they ended on a cliffhanger. Damn them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but something like Upload would be absolutely perfect for the Bobiverse. Yeah, that would be amazing. So do you have in your mind who you would want to play the original Bob? Do you have like a picture in your head or would it be one of those things where you have like a top three people that you would want to act Bob? Or would you well, play it yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God, no. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't act my way out of a paper bag. Uh, no, the, uh, also I'm way too old. Um, Bob was in his early 30s when he died, so you know that's that's where you should go. Um, when I when I write Bob, I visualize Ryan Reynolds, um, not necessarily because I think Ryan Reynolds should play Bob, but because Reynolds has that sort of sarcastic. Well, if you've seen Deadpool, you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, that's kind of the way Bob looks at at the world, you know, it just eye rolling and, and sarcastic comments and stuff. So I, I think picturing Ryan Reynolds speaking the lines helps when I'm writing the book, whether he would actually do the, the, the uh, job. I don't know. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love <laughs> to have amazing. him do it. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling I'm maybe aiming a little high there. <laughs> So, well, no, we have, we have a question that we asked each of our guests on System Chat Live, which is, if you were stranded on a desert planet or a desert island, uh, and you only had one album to take with you, Dennis, what would that, what would it be? And I'll just say, um, I kind of cheated it. I said a mixtape, but we try to <laughs> we try and stick with something. If you had one album that you had to listen to for the rest of your days, on a desert planet somewhere, what would you choose? Oh, wow. Um, 
I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm thinking of my playlists on uh, on my iPhone and stuff, and they're all over the place. Uh, I have got music all the way from from 50s stuff, all the way through to uh, you know stuff things that are only a few years old. Uh, apparently, I can't get any closer to present time than a few years old, though, for some reason. <laughs> Uh, is, there's no there's no shame in that Dennis absolutely no shame uh, uh, good music ended in about 1995 I reckon yeah and on that subject I think probably ZZ Top would would be my uh, my go-to album yes um, good, good music for getting stuff done too we we have remarkably had a lot of people lean towards the classic rock for that answer if you will so that's but ZZ Top is a new one. I don't think we've had ZZ Top so far, have we, Boss? Not yet. We're gonna, we're actually going to put together a a uh, playlist with all of the various guests' different Desert Planet Island albums, yeah. which will be a really fun mashup. It could be the ultimate music playlist. to get stuff done. To sounds like a <laughs> yeah. ZZ Top album. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would like to double down on that question. How about books? Do you have any kind of go to books you just would like? To have by your side, come what may. Oh, the Martian. Oh, yes. <laughs> Interesting. Very quick answer. Yeah, well, that's one of my favorite uh, books, one of my favorite movies. And actually, to a very large extent, it um, motivated me to get into writing. Wow. Interesting. That's uh, that's another thing that has bound us to boss, isn't it? <laughs> you got me. Yeah. You, you got me into to enjoying these stories from from, from Dennis as well as uh, the Martian. Yep. And what it, what is always really interesting, and actually, the Martian is a good example of this, is that in the written version of the Martian. Um, Mark Watney's character has a lot of dialogue and I would say has this really complex personality and inner dialogue. And then in the movie, they have to show it instead of saying it. And I almost, I loved the movie. The movie was done really well, but I almost missed that like inner dialogue that you have going on with him the whole time. That's um, partly because it was Matt Damon though. And Matt Damon <laughs> doesn't have an inner world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that would be interesting. I hadn't thought about that with, so Dennis, with Bob, when Bob goes, you know, let's let's just say we get Ryan Reynolds and he's going to be acting it. He does have a lot more facial, you know, expressions and things like that, that you could translate the story through. But it would be interesting how how to write that out as a script and how the character acts versus talking. You know, that is a very, it's a, such a different medium, but it is really fun to see the two different ways that... Yeah. It comes across well in the martian they used a really what i thought was a really imaginative plot device of having those um logging cameras everywhere mm -hmm. so when when mark watney essentially breaks the fourth wall he's talking to the camera which makes perfect sense in the context of the movie and they even put in those little you know side reading things every once in a while to make it clear that he's talking to the camera uh Ryan Reynolds, he just looks at the camera and talks. Uh, again, Deadpool, um, but but that's how that had, that's how Deadpool was in the comics as well. So that's in character. Um, yeah, with Bob, uh, how would you do it? Maybe he talks to his cat. Maybe he talks to Guppy. Um, you know, he can go off on on all kinds of soliloquies, and Guppy will just stand there and blink. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we 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 are regrettably coming towards the 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 end of the recording but uh oh you've got one question you wrote down boss to tie it up didn't you oh yeah so the biggest question of course from us to you dennis is how can our community or how can us as content creators help you as an author and help kind of promote both the Bobaverse and what you're doing like what can we do to help support you in kind of your path you know i think the the biggest way that that an author or a story or a series or whatever you're talking about can um, benefit is when things simply go viral uh, it, you know, it's not about overt campaigns or marketing or anything like that. But if 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 the Bobiverse starts to come up in conversation or in discussion or here and there, if there's a Bobiverse module in Elite Dangerous, you know, if uh, if somebody's um, giving away, and this is a real example actually, uh, there's a guy on Fans of the Bobiverse who is who has a, a 3D printer. And he's making models of um, the various uh, species in in the uh, Bobberverse trilogy. He's made others. He's made uh, Deltons. You know, he's working on Quinlans, and uh, you know he, he's going to give away the um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the, the files, the, the project files for the uh, for the three D printer. And, uh, you know, that's basically fan art. So it's not like a copyright violation or anything like that. But just passing around 3D printer project files labeled, you know, Deltons from the Bobiverse and stuff like that. That's all part of going viral. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. really cool. And a lot of people in our community do 3D printing and especially oh, around goodness, the ships yes. and things like that. That yeah. would actually be really neat to have the different because I know you've you've designed the different heavens vessels and seeing, you know, seeing that in 3D would be quite neat uh, pointed oh, yeah. out. Yeah, no question. Um, I'd, I'd love to get actually I'd love to buy a 3D printer, but I don't need another time sink in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 3D, 3D printing and uh, blender is is things that we hear come up quite often, isn't it? Mm -hmm. communities. Yeah. If I if I had a 3D printer, I would spend a god awful time making D D figurines. I just know I would. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> oh my goodness, we we we're coming towards needing about um, three more hours if we're gonna be talking about D D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole universe on its own. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you play um do you play any video games, Dennis? Uh, I still play Civilization on my PC, mm. and that's the only video game that I allow myself to play. Um, again, I don't need another time sink in my life. Mm. <laughs> well, you that would one... love Elite Dangerous. You really would. You would. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what that worries really me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a tendency to get um, obsessive if i if i get too much into something so i, I try to avoid doing that <laughs> yes elite would be dangerous in that uh, front for forgive the pun <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> exactly well thank you thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time dennis it has been 
lovely, absolutely lovely talking to you. And yes, we could, we definitely could, if we get into the D&D universe, just go on for another few hours. And um, I know it's late over in in uh, the UK and I actually better jet off to a meeting soon. So thank you, thank you. All right, thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much. Pleasure to meet you. Extremely privileged, yes, thank you. We hope you enjoyed that episode. It was a pure privilege for us to be able to talk to Dennis E. Taylor. And if you've not experienced a Bobaverse yet, it's well worth it. Just pop yourself along to Amazon and type in the search bar, We Are Legion, and that will start you on your journey for one of the most entertaining sci-fi comedies I think you'll ever read. Join us next time on System Chat Live as we talk to Bognagus. For real this time. Until then, take care of yourself, be safe, be happy, and be well.